Mark chapter 9. We will see when we get to the primary text today that Jesus gave some very strong words about the place the Bible calls hell. And it's, it's interesting to me, of course, we live in a culture that's becoming less and less Bible knowledgeable, Bible centered, but uh, people have this, this notion, I guess, that hell is just in someone's imagination. But Jesus taught frequently about hell and, and going through this passage, we see that he dealt with it in our text today. If you're able to stand, please stand with us today for the reading of the scripture. We'll begin by reading the verse that we used for our text last week, which is verse 42. So if you'll give your attention to that, Mark chapter 9 and verse 42. Jesus said, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. So as we emphasized last week, Jesus really pressed home the serious matter of offending others. If our lifestyle, if our behavior, if our words, if our actions would cause someone else to struggle spiritually, Jesus said, you'd be better off with a large millstone, a boulder tied around your neck and cast into the midst of the sea. And then he says this in verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. So he's, he's still talking about offenses here, but here not offending others, but if your hand were to offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Verse 45, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So let's look at that passage together. As Jesus gives these warnings, you'd be better off to have one of your hands missing or one of your feet missing or one of your eye, eyes missing and be able by that to... Avoid being offended, uh, which would cost, in a way that would cost you your salvation. Pretty strong language. We're going to look at it together today. Let's pray as we do that. Father, please help us today as we study this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the love of Christ that sent him to die for our sins, and the love of Christ that gives us the truth, that gave these truths to the apostles, to the disciples, as they're making their way toward Jerusalem. It gives these truth to us because of your inspired and perfectly preserved word that we can read the very words of Jesus today. Now help us as we study them to rightly divide the word of truth, to grow in grace. God, I pray today if there's one in this room that's not saved, 
God, you would help them to see the importance of taking their salvation seriously. I pray for that. And Father, we pray that you'd help all of us to take to heart the message in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you were to summarize last week's sermon and this week's message, these five verses or so, six verses, it's about taking offenses seriously. Now, just to repeat, refresh, what is it? What does it mean to offend or be offended? It means means to stumble. It means to cause someone to to be hindered spiritually. It means to entice, to sin. That word offend is found four times in these few verses that we read. And as we said earlier, Jesus warned us about the, the seriousness of offending others. It is very, well, the words of the New Testament epistles is it's not charitable. It's not charitable. It's not living in charity or living in love if we would if we would do something that would hinder another person spiritually. We have to think about not just our lives, but how our life affects others. Our children, our our friends, people on the job, people we know. It matters. Say, so, well it doesn't matter. Well God says it does matter and so if we would do something to cause someone to stumble, it's a serious, serious matter that our influence would be negative in their life. But then, in, then Jesus uh, begins in verse 43, as we said. Uh, then he says, if your hand offends you, or in verse 45, if your foot offends thee, in verse 47, if your eye offends thee. Now I want you to hold your Bible open to Mark 9, because we're going to spend the majority of our time there. But I want you to turn, if you would, please, to the left of the book of uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 18, Matthew records the same teaching of Jesus, with the exception that he inserts a verse that I think would be uh, helpful to us today, another uh, passage uh, to give us a a similar or parallel look at this, this teaching. Matthew chapter 18 We see again in verse 6 where Jesus says, as Matthew records, But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Matthew says the same thing. In verse 8, Matthew records where Jesus taught, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, and he teaches about that. Verse 9, if thine eye offend thee, he teaches about that. But what I want you to notice is verse 7. Because this verse is not included in Mark's gospel, but Matthew records it. Jesus said, between his teaching about not letting your lifestyle offend others and the importance of your hand or your foot or your eye offending you, Jesus said in verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses. So this all this general context is about offenses. Whether we're being offended or we're causing someone else to be offended. He says in verse 7, For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So offenses are going to come. Opportunities to uh, make bad decisions, things that would hinder us spiritually, things that would cause us to stumble spiritually, They're going to happen. 
And so Jesus gives this warning, not just to the offended, which he does warn the offended, but also to the offender. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 9. And let's look uh, for the rest of our time today to these passages where Jesus warns about the danger of allowing things to offend us. In verse 43, if your hand offend thee. Verse 45, if your foot offend thee. Verse 47, if thine eye offend thee. If those things offend you. And again, offend means to cause to stumble. To, to trip up. To be led into sin or be enticed to sin. Now, Jesus was not teaching that we should literally cut off our hand or cut off our foot or, or pluck out our eye. Because in reality, cutting your hand off won't keep you from sinning, right? Or cutting your foot off won't keep you from sinning. Because sin, my hand doesn't sin in, in and of itself. The place that sin originates is not in our, in our limbs. The place that sin originates in our heart. We sin with our hands because we, our heart is inclined in that direction. We sin with our eyes because our heart is not in the right place. And it's the sinful, lustful, and prideful tendencies of the heart that we need to be concerned about. Because if we're ever going to stop sinning, we have to have a change of heart. Right? We have to have something change on the inside. And we want to examine this, pow this powerful passage before us in Mark's gospel. Because I think these are such graphic words, such strong words, such convicting words from Jesus about the seriousness of sin. Now, let's just look at this passage and kind of break it up in segments and talk about it a little bit. And the first thing I want to talk about is that Jesus gives us two basic directions and destinations as far as life is concerned and death is concerned. One is life, one is hell, right? I mean, that's, those are the two destinations. Look what he says in verse 30, uh, 43. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed. And look in verse 45. It is better for thee to halt, to enter halt into life. And in verse 47, it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God. So he's talking about life and the kingdom of God. Life, as referred to this passage that we just read here this morning, is not something we're born with. Now we're born with physical life, right? Matter of fact, as we... It's worth saying, we have physical life before we are born. But we have physical life through uh, our birth. But Jesus is not talking about physical life. He's talking about entering into life. That's not just physical life. It's spiritual life. And he also uses life in verses 43 and 45 as being synonymous or interchangeable with verse 47 where he says you enter into the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says enter into life in 45 and enter into life in 47, and then he says you enter into the kingdom of God, those three things are the same, right? Entering into life 
is entering into the kingdom of God. So what is this life Jesus is talking about that a person enters into? And and the word we would uh, customarily use is salvation, right? When you get saved, you enter into life. When you... Jesus said this in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When do, you, when do you enter into the kingdom of God? When you're saved. When do you enter into life? When you're saved. Jesus said this in John chapter 5. You ought to think about these words today. He said, you would not come to me that you might have life. Life, as Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 9, is not just living and breathing and having, being able to function in the world. Life he's talking about is spiritual life. It's the new birth. It's a relationship with God. It's the kingdom of God. When a person comes to God, comes to Christ, in repentance and faith, they come because they really want They want to turn from their sin and trust Christ. They enter into life. And the moment they're saved, they enter into life. And life enters into them. This life is not just, as I said earlier, natural life. It's divine life. It comes from God. And it's not just living and breathing. It is a spiritual life. It is a, it is a, not just a, a normal life. It is a, a meaningful life, a full life. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh, but for to steal and kill and destroy, but I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundant. Don't ever believe the lie that the Christian life is a sort of a sub-level form of life. It's the greatest life there is. It's the abundant life. It's full. It's meaningful. This life is not just natural, it's divine. It's not just ordinary, it's abundant. And it's not just temporal, it's eternal. It's eternal life. Amen. So, we we see that Jesus is talking about these people entering into life. By the way, it's not just a destination, heaven. It is that. But it's a direction for now. And... I think people who people are sort of some people may be conflicted in their life because they want to think they're saved, they want to go to heaven. Maybe they are saved, they're going to go to heaven forever, but they're just not really into spiritual life down here. That's not the way it's supposed to be. When you get saved, you're you're birthed into a new way of living. And for as I mentioned a moment ago, friends of ours that left this life this week, they didn't they didn't die, they just changed addresses. They just, they just moved into the fullest manifestation of that life. Jesus said, John chapter 11, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Isn't that a great promise? So one of the things that Jesus is talking about here is life. You will, he said in verse 43, it's better for thee to enter into life. But the other thing he talks about here is not life. Look in verse 43, it's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Now, I don't know if this is true about anybody in this room or not, but I know that there are a lot of people who like to believe, like to uh, think 
that hell is just sort of a state of mind. That hell is not really a literal place. That hell is not a place of torment. But I'm telling you, all those opinions may, may satisfy or soothe a person's mind, but those opinions are not based on the Bible. Hell is a horrible place. Everyone that does not go to heaven, there's only one other place they can go. And that's to hell. And it says in verse 43, having two hands to go into hell. In verse 45, having two feet to be cast into hell. In verse 47, or verse, yeah, verse 47, having two eyes to be cast into hell. This word that Jesus used is not just talking about physical death. People th want to think that. I've read where people say those things. That it's just, they're just, that when people die, they cease to exist. That's not true. We had a, many, many years ago, my wife and I had someone come up to our house up on the hill up there where we live, and they're selling um, religious literature, giving out religious literature, and and it took me a while to ever get them to admit who they were. <laughs> Finally, they did. And they don't, they don't believe, they just believe that when you die, you go into this state of annihilation. But I'm telling you, that's not true. This is what the Bible says. Jesus was teaching in Luke chapter 16. He said, the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Don't take my word for it. Jesus said that. In hell... He lifted up his eyes, being in torment. The word that's translated here is Gehenna. It's a very specific word, the Greek word Gehenna. It's a place of eternal fire and judgment. Look at it. I didn't read the 44th verse, because both, all three of these, um, the phrase about eternity and hell is separated uh, by verses, but verse 43 it says, having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45 he says, be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, then having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Jesus described this place in numerous places with very graphic language. A place of fire. Just saying that makes me think of people who, who say, you know, this, they have this kind of logic. Of course, I want to tell you, when you start trying to reason out the way God is and the way truth is based on your thoughts or imagination, you're headed down a bad path. Because what you or I think is not what matters, it's what God says that matters. And people say, well, I don't believe a loving God would send a person to hell. God does not send people to hell. People go to hell because they reject the salvation that God offers to them. I'll tell you how loving God is. He sent His Son to the cross to die for you and I. That's how loving God is. Don't question the love of God. God sent His Son to die on the cross. A, a horrible, horrific death, unlike anything we could even imagine. And He took your sin, every sin 
you've ever committed in my sin. Every sin that we've ever committed. And He put those sins on His lovely Son. That's how much God loves us. But if you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject the truth, if you, go, if you die having never placed your personal faith and trust in the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your first conscious thing after you die will be you'll be in hell, according to the Bible. I don't say that because it makes me happy. I say it because it's true. It's true. Jesus said in Luke 16, it's a place of torment and flames. Jesus, according to Jesus, it's a real place. It's a dreadful place. It's a horrible place. It's a place of everlasting fire. This is what the Bible says, an everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wasn't made for you. It was made for the devil and his angels. But that's where we go. That's where people go if they're not saved. So this passage to me contains a warning that people should avoid hell at all costs. You know, I asked the question today, sort of a rhetorical question, what would keep people from getting saved? That's a, that's a really a, a thing to ponder for me today. What would keep people from getting saved? Why, why would a person not choose life? Jesus said, you would not come to me that you might have life. Why would a person not want life? I mean, what does it mean to be saved? It means your sins are forgiven. That's a horrible thing, isn't it? It means God becomes your Father. The loving and merciful and kind God that made us becomes your Father. You become a child of Almighty God. And it means not only that God forgives you and saves you, He doesn't save you and leave you, He saves you and says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. A constant companion. I'll never, I'll never get up in the morning, go to bed at night, awake in the middle of the night, go through a trial or a problem that God Himself is not with us to help us. It means I'll spend forever in a wonderful place that He has prepared for those who look for Him. That's what it means to be saved. Why wouldn't a person want to be saved? Why wouldn't everybody want to be saved? And yet there are many who've heard. There are probably some in this room today who have heard the truth and yet are unwilling to obey the gospel. They're unwilling to repent of their sin. They're unwilling to turn to Christ in faith and receive Him as their Savior. In this passage, Jesus is revealing the severity of those who will not deal with their sin in the proper way. And this is how He does that. Back to our passage in verse 43. If your hand offends you, if, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. Now what does that mean? Our hands represent the things that we touch, the things that we handle, the things that we hold on to, the things we enjoy. These things, things that people like, like to have, 
like to hold, like to keep. These things keep people from giving their life to Jesus Christ and receiving His gift of life. Some people are hesitant or reluctant to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith because they have things in this life that they want to hold on to that they think are valuable. Maybe even more valuable than eternal life. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus with the question, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus began to probe into this man's life about his lifestyle, about his sin. And when Jesus dealt with him directly, sincerely about his life, and Jesus said to him, won't you go take that stuff that means so much to you? Why don't you go take that stuff and just give it all away? Come follow me. He walked away sadly. You know why? Because he had things in his hand that meant more to him than his eternal salvation. Jesus said, you'd be better off to cut off your hand and to enter into life maimed than keep both hands and go to hell. If your hands offend, you cut it off. That's what Jesus is teaching. Then he says in verse 45, if your foot offends thee, cut it off. To me, the foot, my feet represent the places I go. The places my body takes me. The people I company with. The things that might, I want to do with my life. Physical things. Things that would keep me from having a relationship with God. Now if people really thought sensibly... They would realize, you know, I may have things I like to do. I may have hobbies. I may have career. I may have different things. I may have stuff. But none of that matters as much as a relationship with God. That's how a thinking person ought to think. Our feet takes us to places we want to go. But I want to tell you, Jesus calls us not to go to places we want to go. Jesus calls us to go to places He wants us to go. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. This, to me, kind of represents the struggle of the will. You've heard me tell this before, but when God began to deal with my soul about salvation and about giving Him my life, we were... We were in our early 20s, 21 as a matter of fact. And we had a preacher that faithfully preached the Word of God. But I can tell you with God as my witness, while he preached the Word of God, God would deal with my heart. And I knew that if I really gave my life to God, there were a lot of things going to have to be different in my life. He never had to preach. He never had to spell it out to me because the Spirit of God was dealing with my heart. And one of the things that was dearest to me 
was my friends. I had friends that I had for many years, friends I'd spent many hours and days with. And I, and I, knew, I knew salvation meant if I come to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give him my life. I had to deliberate about that. It wasn't an easy decision. But you know what I decided, finally decided? By the grace of God, I'd rather have salvation and be friendless. Amen? Amen? Things keep people from turning their life over to Christ. Jesus said, you'd be better to cut your foot off. You'd, be better, you'd better go through life maimed than enter into life or enter into hell with both feet. And then Jesus said this in verse 47. If your eye offends thee, pluck it out. Pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. To me, this represents things that we see, things we watch, things we desire, the lust of the flesh, things that would get in the way of our commitment to Christ. This is something, we see this throughout the Scripture. That was, that was the very first sin. If you go and look at the very first sin, we'll not look at it today in the book of Genesis chapter 3. But Eve saw the fruit of the tree and she said it was pleasant to the eyes. I want that. It looks appealing to me. Jesus said you'd be better off plucking your eyes out if your eyes are keeping you from getting your life right with God than to have both eyes and go to hell and spend eternity in hell. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, I don't believe the answer to this is literally pluck your eye out because if your one eye offends you, you pluck it out, you still got another eye. Jesus is using that to teach us that you need to deal with the, with the sin in your life. You, can, you know, a person says, and if a person has the idea, and I, you know, I feel so strongly about this, well, I, I'm going to ask Jesus to save me, but I'm going to continue to live in my sin. That person never gets saved. There's no repentance in that person's life. You don't get saved just so you can go to heaven. You get saved so Jesus can be a part of your life. He came to save us from our sin, not save us so we'd continue to sin. That's salvation. Jesus is warning these people, avoid hell at all costs. Whatever you have to do, whatever you think is more important to you than salvation, get it out of your mind. Get it out of your life. Avoid hell. At all costs. Remove whatever stands in the way of salvation. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. I'm not going to turn to it. Most of you are familiar with these words. But Jesus said, enter into the straight gate. And it's not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T like straight as an arrow. It's S-T-R-A-I-T. It's a different word completely. Enter into the straight gate. For wide is the way and broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there be that find it. But straight is the gate. And narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And few there be that find it. Jesus said that. Now, it's important that we understand what the word straight means. 
What does it mean? The word straight describes a narrow passage that has obstacles in the way where you have to go past the obstacles. And Jesus said, you're going to have to enter in the straight gate. That means there are going to be things that are going to try to get in the way of you coming to Christ. And there are things. Pride stands in the way. Our associations, our friends stand in the way. Causes that we've taken up. We say this is more important. I'm telling you, nothing's more important than salvation. This does not teach, please hear this. This does not teach that salvation is by good works. I didn't get saved because I said I'll give up my friends. Salvation is not any works that you and I do. Salvation is of Jesus alone. But there are things and there are people and there are activities and there are desires and lusts that hinder people from coming to Jesus Christ. And you ought to get rid of those things, whatever those things are. Whatever, whatever it is that's keeping you from giving your life to Jesus, you ought to get it out of your life and come to Jesus Christ. Though this passage teaches us that there are only two destinations. One is heaven and the other is hell. But it also teaches us that there are consequences. And those consequences are enormous and eternal for our decisions. For those who repent and believe in Jesus, they enter into life the moment they get saved. Isn't that good? The moment they get saved, they enter into life. I only know a limited number of people, but I don't think of anybody that I know that's truly born again that would say, you know, I really regret getting saved. That's the most foolish thing I ever did. (laughs) I only have one regret about getting saved. I wish I'd gotten saved sooner. They enter into the kingdom of God. God is their father. God is their king. God is their ruler. And they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Young person, you may not believe this, but I can remember when I thought being 30 years old was old. It's been a few years ago. But you know what I say now? Life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. Life is, this life, we, we live like this life is all there is. Like this life means everything. I've got to have what I want in life. Why can't I have what I want? This life is nothing compared to eternity. <laughs> when you get saved, you enter into life, eternal life. But if you refuse to get saved, according to Jesus, one day you will be cast into eternal fire, a place called hell. You'll be judged. You'll be judged one day. Just so for the record, when you, like I said, the rich man died, he immediately went to hell. But one day, at the great white throne judgment, every person 
from hell will be caught up before the Almighty God. And they're going to be, at that point, cast into a lake of fire with the devil, with his angels, and with every Christ rejecter that's ever lived. Can you imagine today? You say, well, I don't think you ought to talk about these kind of things. You better take that up with Jesus. He's the one that talked about it. Can you imagine being in hell forever? How long is forever? Like I said, we think about this life like it's a long time. This friend of ours passed away this week, went to heaven. He's 92 years old. That's a pretty long life. How long is forever? Can you imagine being in hell forever? You say, why do you think about that? Because if you're sitting here today thinking, you know, well, it's probably not that bad a deal. You're, you're not a thinking person. And forgiveness of sin is not to the religious. It's not to the, it's not to the re- people who just try to improve or turn over another chapter in their life. It's for those who repent and come to Jesus Christ and put their faith in His death on the cross and that entirely for their salvation. You say, well, preacher, what makes you think you're going to go to heaven, only one thing. And that's the fact that Jesus Christ shed His blood for my sins. and was buried and raised on the third day and said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And one day by His grace, I ask Him to save me. That's what makes me think I'm going to heaven. Right? It's not about me, it's about Him. If you're today and you can't say for certain, I know that's happened to me. I know I've been born again. Hey, don't sit there and think, well, you know, I remember my mama told me there was a time, you know, when I prayed or I got baptized. That, you know, if you're putting your stake in your salvation on what your mama told you, you're staking your salvation on the wrong thing. Has Jesus Christ changed your life? Have you been born again? If not, you need to come to Jesus Christ. You ought to come to Him today. And it should go without saying, because the implication here is not just about the eternal choices of individuals, but there's also something there about the responsibility for God's people. Because people, not just people that live in your house, or people that are in your family, or people, people everywhere are going to spend eternity somewhere. And He gave us the responsibility to warn those people. So... To me, every time I hear about hell, I think about people who are going there as well as people who are there. If you couldn't find one one good reason to pray for missionaries, to pray for your church, to financially support the work of God, if you can find one other reason, and I can find many reasons, here's a good reason, because people need the gospel. People need the gospel. Amen? Amen?